world's becoming a dangerous place for us women. Lipstick Bodyguard looks just like an innocent little lipstick, but it'll instantly drop any attacker to his knees so you can get away unharmed. Lipstick Bodyguard, fear no evil. Get yours today, only at LipstickBodyguard.com. With so much listener feedback from last week's show, this week Diane continues to share more of her tried and true real-world tips caregivers can use to help manage the sometimes overwhelmingly stressful symptoms of dementia. Welcome to Parents Are Hard to Raise, helping families grow older together without losing their minds. I'm elder care expert Diane Berardi. So thank you so much for all the emails you're sending. And I want to read you an email from Rhonda from Bangor, Maine. My sister is caring for my dad. He lives with her now in Tacoma, Washington, and I live across the country in Bangor, Maine. I never imagined being far away would be so stressful. Why do I feel so frustrated and stressed when I'm not the one physically caring for dad every day? Well, that's really a common sort of natural response to what's happening. Because just because you're not the actual person, the hands-on daughter taking care of dad, doesn't mean you're not worried and anxious. You know, sometimes I think, oh, my gosh, you know, the poor, the poor, you know, son or daughter who's here taking care of someone. And, you know, uh, if they have siblings who live far away, well, wow, you know, they're out of sight, they're out of mind, but um, that their parents, you know, they don't have to worry about it or they don't think about it. But really, it isn't true. You know, we think living far away somehow insulates us from feeling overwhelmed by what's going on, that we could just, you know, forget about it and not think about it because we're not actively involved. We're not seeing it. But, you know, you have uh, stress and frustration, not from the physical and mental aspect of actually caring for dad, but you have it because you're not, you know, you feel, you know, a lot of children who aren't in the area, they feel guilty because they're far away, because they feel like they're not doing enough or they're not doing anything. They feel like they're not there for their sister or their brother or their parents. And you, you know, you might listen if your sister's taking care of dad, you say, oh my gosh, she sounds so tired. She sounds so frustrated. Sometimes, you know, we as children, we even get mad at everybody, your parents, doctor, you get mad at your parents, you get mad at your sister, who's the one taking care of them, you just get mad at everybody. Or you get jealous of the sister who's there doing it all. So we have some really kind of crazy emotions going on. But, you know, some worry, well, I work, how am I going to take time off of work? I'm so far away, how am I going to afford, you know, to visit? Can I just go for a short weekend? How much is, you know, that going to cost? Can I be away from my family? But then you're like, oh, my God, but look at, you know, my sister, she's doing everything. So, you know, there is no perfect solution 
when you're faced with, you know, when we're all faced with our parents aging or getting sick and they need help, you know, when you, you know, you might have gotten married, Rhonda, at, you know, 30 years ago and moved across the country and you're not thinking, you know, about your parents getting older. So what you want to think about is, okay, how can I help my sister and my dad where I am right now? So, First of all, the best thing is you have to ask your sister, what can I do for you? What can I do for dad? You know, how can I help you from here? You have to tell me what I can do. You also have to be there emotionally for her. You know, if your sister says to you, oh, my God, dad's driving me crazy. You know, I bring the paper in and he keeps accusing, you know, the neighbor of stealing the paper, you know, and then he goes over to the neighbor's house and accuses him of doing it. So, you know, you just want to be there for her to vent. You don't want to say to her, oh, well, you have to expect that, you know, dad's going to be 80 and you have to expect these things. You don't want to do that because that's where the conflict starts, you know, and that's where your sister's thinking, you're not here. You're not the one dealing with it. You know, you're not the one, he's the poor neighbor. So you have to just be there for her emotionally. Let her just vent, just listen to whatever she's saying. Try, of course, to call and talk to your dad as much as you can. And, you know, one thing I hear all the time from the sibling who's taking care of the parent is, no one ever says, gee, you're doing a good job, or thanks, or, you know, they don't feel appreciated. And that's true of any, any of us in any position in life we're in. You know, you always want, you want that. You want, you know you're doing a good job, or you know you're doing the best you can, but you want someone else to acknowledge that. So just tell her how much, you know, you appreciate what she's doing, how you genuinely appreciate it. Maybe you can plan a set times, you know, maybe once, it depends, you know, what you can do, maybe once every other month or um, twice a year, you know, you can visit and you can give her a break. You know, if she can take some long weekends, let her tell you, maybe she wants a plan, you know, maybe she just wants you to come, you know, where she can go away for two weeks out of the year. That's going to be something you guys have to decide, but it's got to be something, you know, that's helpful for her that she needs and dad needs. You know, maybe you can pay dad's bills. Maybe she's on the phone all the time with the insurance company trying to figure things out with Medicare. Maybe you can do that for her. You know, maybe you're looking for a different physician, or maybe you want to get a second opinion, or maybe dad has to have surgery and then go to a rehab. You can start, you know, the process. Maybe you can look look for those things to be the, the resource. Um, of course, you know, we say if you pick a rehab, then you want to go and, and test it out and see it. Maybe your sister, you know, your sister who's with dad can do that, but maybe you can, you know, narrow it down a lot. What's good. What a lot of people that are taking care of their parent feel is when I go to the doctor, I have to listen to everything and I have to be the responsible one and I have to hear what's going on. So what's a good idea when you go to the doctor, say to the doctor, listen, can I just call my sister and can you, do you mind being on speakerphone so she can hear what's going on as well? That's important because then, you know, it's not just on one person listening to what the doctor says because the doctor, you know, maybe you didn't, don't catch everything. You know, you want somebody else listening as well. So that, that can be helpful. Another common event that um, children write to me about is, you know, 
mom and dad, they're always so grumpy. They're always complaining. So, you know, I'm tired. I do everything. Nothing I do is right. You know, mom might say, oh, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. So, you know, they're feeling frustrated and they're saying, you know, I don't want to even go in their room in the morning. I don't even want to wake them up because I don't know what they're going to say. You know, they're going to probably be cranky. So, you know, life happens and it involves change and sometimes change can be good sometimes change can be painful and it's painful for us it's painful for mom and or and dad so what i i say is please try to keep your sense of humor so when you know when you go into mom's room in the morning maybe say to her you know what i was thinking about last night remember when you know i was 12 years old and i did this it you know try to remember something that was really funny from when you were a kid and something that you guys couldn't stop laughing about humor triggers a positive reaction in our memory and it forces our brain to remember the event because it developed a positive feeling in us. So that's good for mom and that's good for you. And so it might start off the day, you know, you're in a good mood, mom's in a good mood, you guys are laughing, your moods are contagious. So that's something good. You're laughing together. Sometimes, you know, try to use humor to get a point across. You know, it can be humor can be persuasive and it can also distract people maybe from the negative point you might be trying to make. You know, you hear all the time, I can't get mom to shower. I can't get dad to take a bath. You know, he doesn't want to change his clothes. He smells. So, you know, maybe instead of saying that, because sometimes, you know, we get frustrated and we're like, you got to take a bath. You smell, you know, (laughs) you can't, can't, we're going to the doctor. You can't go to the doctor like that. You know, maybe instead of that, you can say, you know, you need a bath. You know, you're starting to smell like an old shoe as a nurse, a once very intelligent nurse that I knew used to say, you know, you're getting a bath. You smell like an old shoe. I'm getting in the shower with you. You know, just try some humor. You don't know. Mom or dad may, you know, may crack a smile. They may laugh. Studies have shown that people with a very good sense of humor do in fact have a higher IQ. So that's good for you. Humor challenges our creativity and our intelligence. People with a good sense of humor are socially better at socially interacting with others and establishing relationships. Studies of the human brain have showed that humor is closely related to a person's ability to solve problems. Even dark humor is regarded as a mark of high intelligence because dark humor is more complex than lighter types of humor. A person needs higher emotional and thinking intelligence to understand humor. The ability to make someone laugh requires a high level of reasoning and the capacity to be able to say it in the right way. So you have to be able to, I'm terrible at telling a joke, but you have to be able to do that. So think of the brilliance of George Carlin, his dark humor. Who would think a simple joke affects the process of learning and thinking? And if you remember the quote from Mr. Big from Sex in the City, after a while, you just want to be with the one that makes you laugh. I want to tell you about my friend Katie. Katie is a nurse and she was attacked on her way home from work. 
She was totally taken by surprise, and although Katie is only five feet tall and 106 pounds, she was easily able to drop her six foot four, 250 pound attacker to his knees and get away unharmed. Katie wasn't just lucky that day, she was prepared. In her pocketbook, a harmless looking lipstick, which really contained a powerful man-stopping aerosol propellant. It's not like it was in our grandmother's day. Today, just going to and from work or to the mall can have tragic consequences. The FBI says a violent crime is committed every 15 seconds in the United States, and a forcible rape happens every five minutes. And chances are, when something happens, no one will be around to help. It looks just like a lipstick, so no one will suspect a thing, which is important since experts say getting the jump on your attacker is all about the element of surprise. Inside this innocent-looking lipstick is the same powerful stuff used by police and the military to disarm even the most powerful armed aggressor. In fact, National Park Rangers use the very same formula that's inside this little lipstick to stop 2,000-pound vicious grizzly bears dead in their tracks. It's like carrying a personal bodyguard with you in your purse or your pocket. Darkness brings danger. Muggers and rapists use darkness to their advantage. We all know what it's like to be walking at night and hear footsteps coming at us from behind. Who's there? If it's somebody bad, will you be protected? Your life may depend on it. My friend Katie's close call needs to be a wake-up call for all of us, myself included. Pick up a lipstick bodyguard and keep it with you always. You're listening to Parents Are Hard to Raise. Now, thanks to you, the number one elder care talk show on planet Earth. Welcome, new listeners. Thank you so much for listening. We have new listeners from Auckland, North Island, and Christchurch, South Island, New Zealand. Heidelberg, Bonn, and Dresden, Germany, Calgary, Saskatoon, Medicine Hat, and St. John on the Bay of Fundy in New Brunswick, Canada. Thank you so much. And we have some really great and exciting news. Parents Are Hard to Raise is now syndicated on iHeartRadio, the largest radio syndication on the internet. You can use the iHeartRadio app to download or listen live to Parents Are Hard to Raise or any of your other favorite shows or radio stations with any smartphone or tablet. You can get the app at iHeartRadio.com and there is also a link on our website. So that's some great news and you guys are all helping make it possible. So a lot of, a lot of you children, a lot of us children are dealing with parents that have dementia. And a lot of times caregiving is not the big things, but the little things that can push us over the edge. I was out this week visiting um, a husband and wife, and the husband uh, just brought his wife back from uh, rehab. His wife has Alzheimer's, and she wasn't speaking, but she was, you know, in, in that stage of pacing, you know, and, and she really needed 
care for everything, for all the activities of daily living, everything. And what had happened was she had fallen and she had fallen because of a urinary tract infection and she went to the hospital and then to rehab and she was in rehab for quite a while. And of course she deteriorated there. She, She didn't get the physical therapy, you know, as often as she should have. And so she came home, uh, the other day and I was there and she developed, um, this humming, very, very loud humming that she was doing while she was in rehab. She hadn't done that before. And, um, you know, with Alzheimer's patients, you don't know the reason, you know, you can only surmise, well, maybe they're humming, you know, maybe they're doing it for this reason. You know, maybe she's trying to communicate. A lot of times, you know, what I think is that humming is brought on by an emotion like anxiety she had in the rehab. That's a scary place. You know, there's all these people around and she's not, she's not walking like she used to. She, you know, her husband isn't there all the time. Um, her caregiver was there, but her caregiver was there for less, you know, less time than she normally is when she's home. And also there's all these other people taking care of her. You know, she's not doing the same things that she did at home. And a lot of times Alzheimer's patients, because they have that emotion, they have that anxiety, and then she is humming, she may be comforted by the humming that she's doing. And, um, you know, also dementia patients, they have that compulsive reoccurring behavior. So you don't know. I kind of think it's, you know, was brought on by anxiety, but she's home. But when I went there, you know, she's only been home. She was only home for a, a, a day or two. So she hasn't acclimated or hasn't, you know, gotten comfortable yet because everything, you know, she's, you could tell she was still very tense, very anxious. And of course it doesn't help because her husband's saying, stop it, stop it, you know, because it's, it's driving me crazy, which it could. I mean, if you're listening to that, you know, and he's listening to it 24 hours a day, the doctor had prescribed, um, I believe it's Xanax, but a very mild dose. So I happened to be out there and the nurse was out there and the nurse had said to him, no, you know, she's going to need a, a more, more Xanax, you know, a stronger dose because it's, she's not comforted yet. She's not calm. So, um, I'm, I, I'm thinking, okay, you know, there's different things you can try. Um, obviously they're going to try to medicate her more to see if we can get you know she can be comforted the one thing you can't do is yell or snap because that's not going to help the situation um you know maybe she has some favorite music you can play that that may break it you can tell when you talk to her that she stops you know and she listens to what you're saying she stops that humming but then as soon as you stop talking to her she starts it all over again. Um, you can try engaging, you know, uh, the person in, in a task. Maybe they fold laundry, try to distract them and break it. It wasn't the right weather to do it, but you can bring them outside. Sometimes, you know, if it's it's the right type of weather, if they hear the birds and they're looking at other things, they hear the lawnmower, uh, it, it may break the behavior. You you know, I'm saying to her, you know, gee, what are you doing? Are you trying to sing? Why are, why are you humming? You know, and you could tell she's looking at me and she's laughing, you know, so she's, but she's doing it and she'll stop while you're talking to her. So you have to, we have to try different things because you don't know 
even if you may know why they're doing it, you don't know what actually is going to break them of it. You know, there's different kinds of dementia, which is the general term for loss of memory and other mental abilities that interfere with daily life. The dementias are all caused by physical changes to the brain, but onset progression varies. The area of the brain that's impacted varies. The, the functioning and the strengths differ because of the pattern, the different patterns of the brain damage. So you can have a person with maybe mixed dementias. They can have symptoms of both. So depending on the area of the brain affected, you know, your mom and dad may have trouble with maybe long or short-term memory, maybe language, judgment, attention. So there's different things. So I'm going to try to give you maybe some helpful hints, I hope, that may you, you may be able to do uh, with mom or dad that may help. So kinds of memory, well, working memory. So what's remembered immediately? And it's dependent on attention. So, you know, for instance, if I give you a number to a repair shop, you'll remember the number while you're making the call, and then you're going to forget it later. Short-term memory, you know, what happened recently, what you had for breakfast. Long-term memory, what happened years ago, maybe in childhood. Procedural memory, so those are things we've learned by repetition, you know, that we salute the flag, that we get in a line, that maybe we bow our head when we pray. So people, you know, you'll often hear me say people who have memory deterioration, and even if it may be severe, but yet they can remember all the lyrics to a song because the part of the brain associated with music is different from the part that handles memory. Now, some people with dementia have difficulty paying attention, so they may have a hard time initially focusing, or they're easily distracted or very difficult bringing them back to refocus. You know, they might, you might be talking to them and they're looking at you and they're understanding, but then they're easily distracted by maybe a noise outside. So we, what you want to do is maybe try to refocus them, try to use cues from different senses, sight and sound, you know, call their name, you know, mom, and keep eye contact, and maybe give them something else to look at. So you might want to try getting their attention that way. Some people have the opposite of the attention problem, the term perservation, which means they're paying too much attention to one thing, and they can't be distracted from it. You know, that continual repetition uh, they're asking you the same question. What time is it? You know, and two minutes later, what time is it? That same question over and over again. Or they're folding and refolding their napkin. So what you want to do, we want to introduce them to something else. Hand them something else, another object. Or maybe ask them to help you with something. Ask them to sing a song. Sometimes, you know, with a dementia patient, they, co they can't comprehend what you're saying or what's happening around them. They hear you, but they don't understand the meaning of what you're saying. Some dementia patients have problems with language. They can't find the right words. Or they're speaking words, but the flow makes no sense. Or the person has no ability to use words at all, and they become mute. Now, a dementia patient can have problems with speech, with remembering words, but they still may, may be able to read aloud or sing. Some dementia patients have problems with orientation, so they don't know the day, the, the year. They're thinking it's the past. 
They're thinking they're in their childhood. Judgment. You'll see, you know, why do they want to put on a winter coat on a hot summer day? Insight. They don't have or understand their situation. The area of the brain that handles insight is damaged. So, you know, you're like, he's so stubborn. My dad is so stubborn. He's in denial. He's not. He's not being stubborn or in denial. It's just that they don't think they have a memory problem or that anything is wrong with them because that insight part of their brain is damaged. Sometimes dementia patients have problem with visual spatial skills, you know, how we operate in our space. It's not to, due to vision problems. It's the, a problem the way the brain is interpreting what it sees. You know, you say, how do they get lost in their own home? They can't find the bathroom. They can't find their bedroom. They can't find a door handle. They can't find the food on their plate. It's the way the brain is interpreting what it sees. You think uh, some de dementia patients, they're apathetic. They won't do anything unless they're really encouraged to do it. And sometimes we confuse apathy with depression. But depression usually has an underlying sadness, which isn't the case with apathy. So you really have to encourage a dementia patient. You know, you can have a dementia patient who's very apathetic at home and you can't get them to do anything. But then... You can bring them to an adult day center and they can be very engaged and very active in a program there. Sometimes dementia patients suffer from apraxia where, you know, they have the physical ability to do something, but they no longer know how. You see that they can't remember how to put their clothes on how to, you know, pull up a zipper, how to tie their shoe. They have trouble washing their hands, using a knife or a fork to eat. Recognition problems, they don't recognize their home. They don't recognize their family. You know, they're in a car, you took them to the doctor, and they won't get out of the car because they don't recognize that that's their home. Some dementia patients have what, what's called problems with executive functioning. Their thinking, their reasoning, their perception, their memory. Those are the skills they use to plan and do something. You know, you'll see them. They can't balance a checkbook. It takes multiple steps. They can't remember how to bake a cake. It's, it's activities that require multiple steps. They have... Problems with abstract reasoning. They interpret everything literally in a very concrete way. So they don't understand, you know, the deeper meaning. So, you know, sometimes if, if you say to a dementia patient, you're exercising, you say to them, reach up to the ceiling because you want them to stretch. But you might have a dementia patient who's literally trying to touch the ceiling. Some dementia patients have Psychotic symptoms, you know, they have those delusions and the very common ones, somebody's stealing their things or their spouse is cheating on them. And when they are yelling or they have that gesturing or pointing, it's somehow 
related a lot of times to those delusions. Sometimes they have hallucinations where they see, they hear, they feel, they smell things that aren't there. A lot of the common hallucinations for dementia patients, they see small children running through their house. I remember my husband saying that his, his grandmother did that. She always thought there was, you know, she would say to my mother-in-law, feed the children, you know, feed the kids, give them cookies. But there was no kids there. Or they see animals playing on the lawn. Dementia patients often become depressed. They get tired, they get irritable, they can't sleep. And people with dementia who are depressed function better if the de depression is treated. Very common with dementia patients is that anxiety, that obsessive compulsive behavior. They have that pacing, you know, those racing thoughts. And again, they try, doctors try to treat that anxiety. So, we want to try to find mom and dad's strengths. Even though they have that dementia, there are some strengths. So watch how they react during social activities, during social encounters. You know, pay attention to their nonverbal communication. They're smiling, they're frowning. Are they, you know, are they crossing their arms? Do their eyes brighten up when you're, they're doing something? What makes them come alive? Singing? Do they sing? Try to sing with them. Try to add music to their activities. See what comes easy for them to do and do more of that. And try to offer a variety of things. Even throw something in there that you're not sure if they can do. But try to do it with them and see if they can do it. They may surprise you. Now, you know, as the disease progresses, their interests may change because you'll say, well, she always liked listening to music and now she doesn't want to do that because that, that happens as the disease progresses. How do we improve communication with them? You, you speak slow. We use simple words, calm and reassuring. And that's hard. And I know that's hard, especially, you know, the example I was saying to you, this, this poor woman, and she's humming loudly, constantly, you use their name and look at them, you know, always ask them one question at a time and always give them time to respond. And it's okay if they're silence, if they're, you know, you can see them thinking, let that silence, don't try to fill it up and don't just ask them another question. Don't finish their sentences for them. You can sometimes see that they don't understand. They're not comprehending what you're saying. So wait a little bit and ask it again. Sometimes they may then understand it. If they don't, try restating it using different words. If that doesn't work, try multiple choice. Don't talk to them from behind. Always approach them from the front. Try to use humor. Keep that sense of humor. Try to use humor whenever possible. Try to use more than one of their senses, hearing, seeing. And remember, they can sense the feelings in your voice. They come across more than words do. And try to use words and other cues like eye contact, point to things, you know, have pictures, show objects, use touch. So, you know, when you want them to eat, use a visual cue, you know, put the plate in front of them. Then verbally remind them to take a bite. Touch, put the fork in their hand. Or if they're, you want them to eat a sandwich, you know, maybe light, lightly touch their elbow when they're holding a sandwich.
Same thing, you know, when you want to take them into the bathroom, use visual, walk them into the bathroom and point to the toilet. Verbal, tell them it's time to use the bathroom. Touch, help them, you know, with their clothes and help them sit on the toilet. Now, if, if they can speak to you, you want to listen. Even if you can't understand what they're saying, let them continue. Because you may be able to get the gist of what they're saying and what they're trying to say. Give them your undivided attention. If they stop, you might be able to give them a word and say, is this the word you're looking for? Is this the word you mean? Is this what you mean? Don't speak for them, but you may be able to do that and they may smile and, and gesture to you. Be sensitive to the emotion, not just the words. You know, so let's say you take mom to visit a friend and she keeps saying to you, she wants to go home, she wants to go home. So there's some kind of anxiety going around. You know, it's not just the words. There's something, so sense that emotion, she's anxious. So maybe touch her hand and say, okay, it's okay. You know, we can start to get, get ready to go home. So you have to always remember the dementia patient has all these emotions, has feelings. Because they can't express them, it doesn't mean they don't have them. You have to remember always that routine. That's essential. Same thing happen each day at the same time. And if you're doing stuff with them, like you're going to visit a friend, don't make it an all-day thing. You know, try to shorten activities maybe 30 to 45 minutes. And try to do different things, you know, movement, uh, stretching. You know, if you're sitting there and maybe they're reading, you know, they can they can do that. Maybe they can't communicate, but they're reading. Maybe, you know, every 15 minutes, have them get up and stretch. Try to do different things. Before you feed them lunch is when maybe you want to take them for a walk if you can. If they don't remember that they just ate, you know, leave the empty, empty plate on the table and you can maybe show them, show them the empty plate. If they have trouble with that visual spatial impairment, you know, maybe use a white plate, maybe a bowl or a plate that has a lip so it's easier for them to use a utensil. If they start to eat, you know, shift the plate so they can see the rest of the food. If you mix the food maybe with something like applesauce, it can kind of keep it together as they lift the food to their mouth. Finger foods, put the food in their hand. Don't put, you know, don't put a salad bowl on the table and a main meal and a cup. Try to use one, one thing at a time because too many things will confuse them. Try to use a bigger plate than needed because then they might not spill the food. They can maybe get to the food and they'll feel like, okay, you know, they're eating themselves. Don't use paper plates. Use sturdy utensils. Don't use styrofoam because styrofoam can be eaten by mistake. So you never want to do that. Any sudden change in a person with dementia, like if they have a decline in their functioning or a change in the way they're walking, you want to bring, call the doctor, bring them to the doctor. Because in the ch- a change in the way they're walking, they may have injured themselves that you don't know about. Or it could be a reaction to a new medication. They could have a TIA. It could be a sign of delirium from a urinary tract infection, very common, dehydration. And now this season, the flu. And just remember, people with dementia, they're very sensitive to the emotional environment around them. 
Well, ha, my survival tip of the day. I forgot. Let me tell you. Okay, don't focus so much on making yourself feel good. The best way to cheer yourself up is to cheer someone else up. Well, we're out of time. I might have even went over. I feel like I've talked a lot. Sorry. <laughs> if this week's show was helpful to you or you know someone who would be helped, please tell them about it. They can subscribe to the show using iTunes. You can find links to the topics we just talked about in the show notes for today's episode, episode 46 at parentsarehardtoraise.org. Please keep those emails coming. I'm here to help you. So if there's something that you're struggling with, remember someone else is also struggling with it. Trust me. Email me at dianeaparentsarehardtoraise.org. You can reach me through my website, dianeberardi.com. You can follow me on Facebook at Parents Are Hard to Raise podcast. And I tweet at Jersey Elder Care. Parents Are Hard to Raise is a CounterThink Media production. The music used in this broadcast was managed by Cosmo Music LLC, New York, New York, under license of Broadcast Music Incorporated. Thank you so much for listening. See you again next week. 